BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. We've got a lot to get to today. Lamar Waldron is going to be with us. We're going to be talking about this is the fourth Republican president to betray the Kurds. And we're going to do a deep dive into this and what the consequences of all this will be. I'm beginning to think that Donald Trump is really genuinely, seriously trying to create a war in the Middle East because he thinks it'll help his re his reelection. You'll recall in 2012, when Barack Obama was standing for reelection, Trump repeatedly tweeted that Obama was going to start a war with Iran any day because it would help him get reelected. This is how he thinks. This is what he has said. And now the, uh, the Washington Post is reporting that we are sending uh, troops and equipment to Saudi Arabia right now for a possible war with Iran. We are sending two fighter squadrons, an Air Expeditionary Wing Headquarters Unit, two Patriot missile batteries, and one Air Defense Unit in addition to 1,800 troops into Saudi Arabia right now as Saudi Arabia is bombing the bejesus out of civilians in Yemen, launching a murderous war that has been condemned by the world. Trump is supporting Turkey and still and continuing to make money off his 119 investments in the country of Turkey, including his Trump Towers, as he sells out the Kurds and they're being slaughtered. The most recent real eyebrow raiser was when Fox News was doing a story and the reporter, the Fox News reporter from Syria was showing a picture of a seven-year-old girl who had her leg amputated and was covered with blood. And the Fox News host breaks into tears. This is going on in our name. It's our money, our tax dollars, our soldiers, our weaponry being used to support Saudi Arabia, explicitly and directly. And then Turkey and keep in mind, Turkey just bought a, a, a huge uh, anti-missile system from Russia whose loyalties are going where this is. I've been saying this for a while now. This is more and more looking to be like the beginning of a World War One kind of scenario. I mean, it's bad enough that Trump is trying to pump the presidency to basically hustle the presidency, his office in order to make profit for himself and the Trump crime family. 
it's bad enough that he's continuing to run this hotel in Washington, D.C., when the lease in the Park Service says that if the person who is renting that property from the federal government, keep in mind, the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. is not owned by Donald Trump. That building and the land that it's on are owned by the U.S. National Park Service. The building was the first major post office built in Washington, D.C., built back in the 19th century. And the building was leased to the Trump Organization before Donald Trump declared his candidacy for office. And in the lease, it says that if the leaseholder becomes a, an elected official or an appointed official, then they have to give up the lease, which means that the Trump Hotel DC has to be like, you know, given a Marriott or something to, to some other hotel company who doesn't have a senior officer who is president or any other federal officer. But Trump continues to do that. In flagrant violation of the federal emoluments prohibition in the Constitution that the president may not take foreign money. I mean, this appears twice in the Constitution, Article 2, Section 5, where it defines what the compensation is for the president. And it says that the president shall be paid and shall receive no additional money outside of his, his paycheck. So there's two emoluments exceptions, but that's domestic. Then there's, of course, the foreign one. And then he goes and says, oh, yeah, G7, come on down to Florida to the Doral. It's a crime just to even suggest that. But last night, NBC, uh, specifically Heidi Presbola and another reporter, Anna, I'm, I'm, I'm missing her name. But in any case, the two of them wrote this report for NBC News pointing out that Donald Trump has not only made millions of dollars, initially $10 million and then, you know, uh, up to $5 million a year. We're not sure exactly how much he's making right now from having his name on the so-called Trump Towers in Istanbul, Turkey. So he's making millions from this. When he was pushing his Muslim ban, you remember that? Back two years ago, two and a half years ago, Trump was pushing his Muslim ban. And on the list of Muslim countries was Turkey. And Erdogan called him up and said, you do that, and I'm going to take your name off Trump Tower, and you're no longer going to get licensing fees. And Trump immediately backed away and took Turkey off the list. So NBC News pointed that out, but they additionally pointed out that Donald Trump owns positions in 219 different investment vehicles based in Turkey. He's got a lot of money in Turkey, and he's making a lot of profit out of Turkey. And then Erdogan calls up and says, hey, we'd like you to give us permission, basically, to slaughter the Kurds. And so Trump's rationale yesterday was that the Kurds did not fight in World War II. Well, it turns out they did. It was called the Iraq Levies. They were a, an allied World War II force. They were made up of Kurds, Assyrians, Armenians, and Yazidis, and some Turkmen. By the way, these are the groups, these five ethnic groups, the Assyrians, the Kurds, the Armenians, the Turkmen, and the Yazidis. These are the five groups, uh, you know, along with a Christian group in northern Syria that make up the Syrian Democratic Forces. We're referring to them kind of generically as the Kurds, but it's actually the Syrian Democratic Forces who are being bombed right now by Turkey with U.S. bombs you know, bombs made in Ohio and Indiana dropping on northern Syria on Christian and Kurdish areas. 
And they did fight. They just served under the British and the French instead of under uh, Eisenhower. How long are we going to allow Donald Trump? Now he's set up a genocide for profit scheme. Is this not the ultimate impeachable crime? Mark in Chicago. Hey, Mark, what's up? Hey, Tom, I just want to point out the hypocrisy of Donald Trump, and I'm sure it's clear to everybody. He says we should let the Kurds take care of this problem themselves because they're so far away. Yet three weeks ago, or however long ago it was, when that Saudi oil installation got struck, we had troops over there almost instantaneously to protect those interests. Right. And we yeah, don't so, even need to know, import oil have, from Saudi Arabia any longer, although we still are. Human lives mean nothing, but oil interests, uh, those are certainly worth protecting and sending our troops over. Yeah. And, is, and I haven't heard too much about that. That is an important point, Mark. And it really does highlight the hypocrisy of these guys. Yeah, I'm with you. Thanks a lot for the call. Horatio, it says that you disagree with me. You go to the front of the line. What, you disagree the Kurds aren't protecting against ISIS? Seriously? You know, you know who really uh, was with, uh, taking care of ISIS was the Russians and Assad. The only thing that, remember, we didn't even want to uh, uh, give guns to the, to the Kurds because this was going to happen. They always wanted land. Uh, the Kurds are nothing but a bunch of opportunities. They took their opportunity, and guess what? It didn't pan out. Hey. So these Kurdish, so these ISIS fighters, these, uh, I've seen different numbers, 10,000 to 50,000 uh, ISIS fighters that are being held by the Kurds in prisons where the Kurds had captured them in the regions where the Kurds live, where ISIS tried to take control and the Kurds took back control. You're saying that wasn't actually all the Kurds, that was actually the Russians? Yeah, remember, Tom, uh, the Russians, after they took Raqqa, the, the, the ISIS were getting backed up. And all of a sudden, America came and made that free, uh, free zone for them. And then they started uh, arresting them and putting them in prison. But, man, the, the Russians had, had the ISIS on the run. But we yeah. gave them a, a free space. Yeah, uh, somehow, no, I'm, you know, I, I, I just don't see where, where Russia gives a, you know, a, a hoot. Well, maybe they do. You know, we actually, you know, they've had their own problem with, uh, particularly in Chechnya, with, you know, Islamic terror. But, but Horatio, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to disagree with you. Jason in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Jason, what's oh. up? Hello, Tom. Good to talk to you again. They played a clip the other day on MSNBC where Donald Trump admitted during the 2016 elect election cycle that he had a major conflict of interest in Turkey. And right. he's built towers there in Istanbul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's taking millions from them, and, and this is why I think, and I've, you know, I've said this on the air, um, I, I believe that if we ever get to listen to the tape or read the transcript of Trump's conversation with Erdogan on Sunday night, that what Erdogan threatened him with was economic, that Erdogan said, you know, you're gonna t we're going to take your name off Trump Towers. Erdogan threatened this before, you know, when, when Trump was doing his Muslim ban, and he included Turkey in the list. And Erdogan called him up and said, I'm going to take your name off Trump Tower. And boom, Trump changed his tune. I think Erdogan did the exact same thing again. And he said, you know, I want the Kurds. I want to take out the Kurds. And, and Trump was like, okay, just let me keep my Trump Tower. You know, my, the, the Trump crime family, the, the grift has to continue. Um, so, yeah. Never thought I'd see the Republicans choose somebody worse than Bush, but they have. Yeah, and and worse than Reagan, and worse than I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. downward. Yeah, thank it you. Really thank is. You. Good to talk to you. I want to emphasize this point: that if the Democrats 
specifically if Nancy Pelosi, I mean, she's she's driving this train, the impeachment train. And if she screws this up in any way and it doesn't work out, Donald Trump is going to feel so empowered. It's going to be like after the initial riots, basically, when Mussolini was rising to power, or the same thing with Franco in Spain, the same thing with Hitler after he got out of jail after the beer putsch in Munich. As these guys, these grifter, totalitarian, wannabe dictators who actually end up as dictators, the way that they make that transition is by being challenged, seriously challenged, and winning. This is very, very dangerous. Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have one chance to take Donald Trump down. There's that old saying, if you're going to shoot the king, you better kill the king, or words to that effect. And, of course, nobody is suggesting anything like shooting and killing. But the point is, if you go after the king and you don't succeed in bringing him down, he will destroy you. And there is no doubt in my mind that if the Democrats in the House successfully pass articles of impeachment out of the House and it goes to the Senate and there's a trial in the Senate and Mitch McConnell does his magic and screws it up so that Donald Trump skates, or if the case wasn't made well enough by uh, Pelosi and the Democrats in the articles of impeachment so that Trump skates, or if John Roberts inserts himself, he will be the, the uh, as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he will be the judge in the trial. The jury will be the, the Senate. The representatives of the House will be bringing the charges. So we saw all this in the Clinton impeachment. If this doesn't work, Donald Trump is going to be like Mussolini, like Franco, like Hitler, like so many of these tin pot dictators. Frankly, Erdogan. Erdogan was sliding in popularity. He left the country. The military said, okay, he's gone. We're going to take over. And he got himself back in the country and he executed thousands of people. And he, uh, my recollection is that he imprisoned over 30,000 people. I may be um, uh, wrong on the exact number. 18,000 also sticks in my head, but in any case, he, he put his opponents in prison. And he now rules Turkey with an absolute iron fist to the point that he feels comfortable calling up the President of the United States and saying, you're going to lose your revenue from your 119 investments in Turkey, including your Trump Tower, if you don't let me slaughter the Kurds. So if you want to see an Erdogan-style presidency in the United States, if you want to see our Democratic Republic slide down the tubes, if you want to see this whole thing fall apart, this 240-year experiment in the ideals of the Enlightenment, well, we don't want to see it. I, you know, the, the if, obviously, is if Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats screw this up, or if Mitch McConnell and the Republicans successfully break it up, in my opinion, it will be the end of our republic. Donald Trump doesn't understand what a small r Republican government is. He doesn't understand even the functions of government. 
he's a totally corrupt autocrat. He has been his entire life. He believes that everybody else is corrupt, which is why he goes to the head of the FBI, Jim Comey, and says, hey, you know, let's cut a little slack here for Mike Flynn. It's why he hires Mike Flynn when Mike Flynn is being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by Turkey as his national security advisor. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, everybody's corrupt. And I'm guessing that Trump has a lifetime of experience that tells him that everybody's corrupt. I'll bet he's bought off New York City housing inspectors. I'll bet he's bought off New York City aldermen or, you know, whatever their city council is called. I'll bet he's bought off New York City mayors. I'll bet he bought off Rudy Giuliani when Giuliani was mayor. Trump is corrupt and, and, and he spreads corruption all around him. His fixer, his handling the corruption for him guy, Michael Cohen, is now sitting in prison for Trump's corruption. And when, you know, the, was the old saying, you know, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. If Trump survives an impeachment attempt, he will believe, and perhaps correctly, that he now has absolute power in the United States. And that will be a disaster for our country and for the world. Now, moving along, there's a, you know, a few other things going on. These, these two guys who are buddies of Rudy Giuliani's, who were born in Ukraine, who were arrested at Dulles Airport, uh, preparing to flee the country. This is apparently why they busted them when they did, because these guys were about to get on a plane out of the United States. It turns out that what they were doing was essentially bribing Congressman One. It appears uh, that Congressman One was Pete Sessions, although I've only seen that in two different places. I can't, you know, I, I can't absolutely confirm that. But they were apparently bribing or, you know, offering illegal campaign contributions or pay, actually paid illegal campaign contributions to a member of Congress to essentially lobby the Trump administration to get Marie Yovanovitch who was our ambassador to Ukraine to get her fired. Now, she was apparently one of the good guys. She was apparently concerned about, about corruption in, in Ukraine. And these guys were apparently on the side of corruption in Ukraine. And I'm not talking about corruption as a code word for Joe Biden's son. I'm talking about real corruption. Now, the charges have just been filed. The grand jury has laid this out. The grand jury says, I mean, this is the charge. The defendants conspired to circumvent federal laws against foreign influence. So this wasn't just a couple of rich guys running a business down in Florida who happened to be born in Ukraine, throwing a couple hundred thousand dollars into a pack run by Don Trump Jr. Apparently that was part of a larger campaign using Ukrainian money, foreign money, to influence the Trump administration. Back to the, back to the uh, indictment. The defendants conspired to circumvent the federal laws against foreign influence by engaging in a scheme to funnel foreign money to candidates for federal and state office so that dependents could buy political influence with candidates. And then they go on to say at around the same time that Parnas and Furman, the two guys who were arrested, the Rudy Giuliani's two buddies who got arrested trying to flee apparently to Ukraine or Russia, Around the same time, Parnas and Furman committed to raising those funds for Congressman One, that Pete Sessions, presumably, 
Parnas met with Congressman One and sought Congressman One's assistance in causing the U.S. government to remove or recall the then U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Parnas's efforts to remove the ambassador were conducted, at least in part, at the request of one or more Ukrainian officials. And Maria Yovanovitch is like, she's one of the people that Congress really wants to talk about, or to talk with, rather. And the Trump administration is saying, oh no, we're not gonna let her go. She's not gonna talk to anybody. This is getting very, very interesting. Giuliani Associates tied to Ukraine scandal arrested on campaign finance charges as they're trying to flee the country. And it's not just campaign finance. It's trying to essentially bribe a congressman and influence U.S. foreign policy and get a U.S. ambassador fired. This is mind-boggling corruption coming out of the Trump administration. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And the people who fund them. And the picture, there's this picture of Trump with these two guys. On the other side of the picture is who? Is that Don Jr.? Well, there's another one with Mike Pence. I've recently discovered the powerful health benefits of CBD oil. Louise and I have been using New Leaf Natural CBD oil and love it. CBD oil doesn't get you high. It's not intoxicating. So it's great if you want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand I use is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's n-u-leafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to nuleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, nuleafnaturals.com. nuleafnaturals.com, code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M, nuleafnaturals.com. Seth Abramson tweeting. <laughs> this, you know, Seth is such a great source. It's, it's just absolutely fascinating. Fruman, just arrested trying to flee the country, met personally with Trump twice in the days before Ukraine froze all Manafort investigations in April 2018. I think there was a connection. And then uh, Seth Abramson goes on. It's looking like these two men may have assisted Giuliani Trump in shaking down Ukraine to end an investigation of Manafort who Trump was telling friends months earlier in January 2018 could bring him down in exchange for business coming their way from Trump policies. It doesn't get worse than this. I mean, it really and truly doesn't get worse than this. It's just amazing. I'm going to retreat Seth Abramson's uh, tweet. These are are shocking, (laughs) at the very least. On the line with us, my old buddy, Lamar Waldron. We worked together on a couple of books, Legacy of Secrecy, The Long Shadow of the JFK Assassination, and Robert Kennedy, National Security, The Mafia, and the Assassination of Martin Luther King, and Ultimate Sacrifice, which was about the JFK assassination. Lamar is the author of The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination and Watergate, The Hidden History, which we're going to get into in just a minute. The question, will Trump and Barr go down like Nixon and his attorney general, John Mitchell, who spent 19 months in prison? So uh, my old friend and collaborator, Lamar Waldron, welcome back, Lamar. 
Great to be with you again, Tom. I just can't believe how much news has been coming out today and yesterday and everything, but it's it's just like the old Nixon Watergate days when it's, you know, if we think these have been heavy news days for the past couple of weeks, put on your seatbelt because the next week, the next month, frankly, the next year is going to be more of the same. And they just busted two of Rudy Giuliani's buddies who were born in Ukraine on Dulles on trying to flee the country. Apparently what these guys were doing was uh, was trying to bribe uh, Congressman Pete Sessions to get the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine fired on behalf of some Ukrainian oligarchs. I mean, it's just it's it's insane. But but uh, in the meantime, BBC is reporting 60,000 people are fleeing Kurds from their territory in northern Syria in the face of this invasion from Turkey. I mean, you know, this is this is uh, uh, terrible, terrible stuff that, that Donald Trump would turn his back on on our allies, on the Kurds. It turns out they actually did fight with us in World War II, not as a nation, but, you know, there was this, this uh, it, was, it was called the Iraqi or the Iraq uh, group or something like that. And, and it was made up of five different ethnic groups who make up that coalition right now, but principally the Kurds. They fought on our behalf in World War II. And I understand from you, Lamar, that Trump is not the first Republican president to screw the Kurds. Exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, this has been going on since the days of Nixon. And I'd like to just kind of briefly go back in time, starting with right now, because the other big thing is, why is Trump doing this now when it seems like he needs all of his Republican supporters and now he's angering them? But as your listeners will learn over the next hour, there's usually never like one reason Trump is doing things. There are always several sleazy reasons that all come together, because in this case, you've got his numerous business ties, more than 100 business ties to Turkey, including the big Trump towers, not just one tower, but two. You've got Turkey and whatever they know about Khashoggi's murder, the American Saudi journalist who was murdered in Turkey. And there was a lot of credible reporting at the time that his body was even disposed of in Turkey. So whether that's true or not, you know, Turkey knows a lot about Khashoggi's murder. And so that's pressure and leverage that they have on Trump. But most importantly, and again, this will be a recurring theme throughout the hour, is is Trump and Putin. I mean, basically, Trump is giving Syria to Putin and Turkey, just like the Germans and Russia carved up Poland at the start of World War II. But Turkey is part of NATO and wants to be part of the European Union. How does that, there's an obvious conflict between that and being in bed with Putin's Russia. Well, again, though, you've got a guy who's essentially an elected dictator. Of course, we should all remember a lot of dictators, like Adolf Hitler, were elected. So, in other words, it's whatever Erdogan wants to stay in power, that's what's important, not Turkey as a nation, not what's good for the Turkish people, just like with Trump. And that's one reason I think Trump and Erdogan get along as well as they relatively do. But the other big gift to Putin in all this is the open skies policy. That's been, you know, just a tiny little footnote in most reports. Well, that's basically says, you remember the old days in the 60s when we'd read about the U-2 spy planes and Russia shot down one? Well, 
in the sense of ending the Cold War, we have this open skies policy that says basically we can fly surveillance planes over Russia and Russia can fly surveillance planes over us. In other words, we're, we're not going to do anything, hopefully, that treaties don't allow. And we expect Russia to be the same way. Well, now the Trump, Trump, I think, is taking advantage of all this horrible publicity about the our, our Kurdish allies being starting to be slaughtered, and that um, uh, you know he he just you know they're gonna they're gonna end this open skies policy, which you know it's just a total incomplete gift to Putin, one of many that that Trump keeps giving. So again, like I say, there, there's a lot of reasons this is happening now. And, and and this is the fourth time a Republican president has betrayed our Kurdish allies. The third time was back in 1991 under President George Bush Sr. after the first Iraq war, when, if, if I'm sure you recall, Bush Sr. urged the Kurds to rise up against Saddam, who yes. Bush, you know, because the Saudis didn't want him to, had not actually deposed Saddam after we spent all the money and lives to invade Iraq that first time. Only once Bush got the Kurds whipped up to rebel against Saddam and hopefully overthrow him, then he wouldn't support them, and they were slaughtered. And that's purely on Republican President Bush Sr. And there were there were mass graves. I mean, this was this was like on the order of tens to hundreds of thousands of people who were slaughtered, was it not? And it was it was a huge thing. But even that, like I say, that was the third time, just three years earlier. Under the Reagan-Bush administration, and I almost hesitate to say Reagan-Bush because by that time, you know, I, I think it was mostly the Bush administration in waiting because Reagan, you know, was starting to have his, his Alzheimer's and memory problems. You know, on March 16, 1988, over 3,000 Kurds were killed. Over 7,000 were injured with poison gas, you know, the kind of large-scale poison gas attack that I don't think has been seen since what, World War One, maybe? Yeah, and it was outlawed by international convention after World War One because of the horrors of the poison gas attacks. And that was all at the same time Iran-Contra was unraveling, and, and you had Edwin Meese, the Reagan attorney general, was involved with all these scandals and everything. But, you know, there are even indications, and you may know more about this than I, you know, that Donald Rumsfeld and the Reagan-Bush administration actually had some sort of role in the lead-up to that gas attack. There's a famous photograph of Rumsfeld shaking hands with Saddam Hussein, and it was from the trip where he went over there on behalf of, of the Reagan administration to sell Saddam Hussein weapons. And apparently this came out when Bush Jr. was trying to sell us on a war with Saddam. It came out that among the things that he was selling them were, were at least the precursor chemicals to make these poison gases. Um, and, and, and so it's just horrible what keeps happening. But, but now let's dial back to the first time that our Kurdish allies were betrayed by a Republican president. That's all started under President Nixon. And this is in the early 1970s. And he's got his horrible national security advisor, secretary of state guy, Henry Kissinger, who I, I'm not even sure. Kissinger may or may not be under indictment in some countries today for some of the stuff oh, yeah. you know, Kissinger did back then. I, I, I believe there are countries that Kissinger may not be able to travel to because he would be arrested. And so under the Nixon administration, Nixon himself, and we'll get to all the parallels between he and Trump shortly, but basically at that time, 
we were against Iraq because of Saddam Hussein, but Nixon was good friends with Iran at that time. People, younger people can't imagine a time when Iran was our second biggest ally in the entire Middle East after Israel. Right, and this was because of the Shah, because we had, we had placed this dictator there. Exactly, it was funneling money to Nixon, and then Nixon set up this deal with the Kurds and them getting slaughtered back then. So the Shah was paying off Nixon under the table? Oh, of course, of course. Amazing, amazing. Lamar Waldron is with us. Watergate, The Hidden History, his most recent book. So the Shah of Iran was paying off Nixon from the 1968 election, again in the 1972 election. So we see that, 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 that desire to get the, the help from foreign countries on, on the behalf of Nixon to win elections. And, and, and so what happened there was, was the Shah was against Iraq. Uh, Nixon and Kissinger funded the, the Kurds to kind of, you know, do actions against Iraq. But then the Shah who was thoroughly corrupt, horrible, brutal dictator, cut a deal with the horrible, brutal dictator Saddam Hussein on the, uh, on the waterway that runs between those two countries that leads to the Strait of Hormuz and stuff. And once they had cut that deal, then, then the U.S. just ended you know, the support for the Kurds after stirring them up against Saddam. And then, of course, Saddam is, is attacking them in retribution. So, I mean, it's almost shocking that the Kurds would ever believe what any... American president, especially a Republican, says, but the mainstream media, you know, goes out of their way not to point out that it's always been Republican presidents that do this. But, but, but again, to, to, to get back to Nixon and Trump, you know, the Shah was not the only foreign dictator giving money to Nixon to help him win elections. There was there was the U.S. backed junta in uh, in Greece. There was uh, Marcos in the Philippines, and there was of course the dictator of South Vietnam who. Who, who basically, uh, through the peace deal that was supposed to occur in the fall of 1968, and and that was just to help Nixon win the election. You know, they extended right. the Vietnam War by another two or three years. So, so Nixon, like Trump, wanted both the foreign. Uh, assistance to win elections in 68 and 72, but also just to literally, literally pocket that money because, uh, you know, there, there's Is so this, many... Uh, I'm sorry, what was that again, Tom? I, does this have something to do with why there has not been a Democratic president who has betrayed the Kurds, but there's been a series of Republican ones that, that betraying the Kurds always involved a Republican president getting something, cash or campaign help, and the Democrats, by and large, are at least not that corrupt? I, 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 I would or is it say just that. an accident of history? No, no, I don't think it's an accident. I mean, basically, you know, I, I, uh, Joe Biden is, is a little conservative for my taste in a lot of ways, but he, he really knocked it out of the park. I believe it was yesterday when he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that, that Trump would do anything to win an election. And that's what's at the heart of all of this. Nixon, you know, Reagan, uh, you know, Bush Sr., Bush Jr., Trump, they will do anything to win an election. Nixon will commit treason, you know, and extend this Vietnam War at the cost of thousands of American lives, you know, just to win an election. You know, Reagan and Bush, uh, with the whole uh, October surprise thing, keeping our hostages in, in Iran and torpedoing that 
deal right before that election. And so, you know, I, I, you know to me, that's what it is. And, 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 and I think there is a lot to learn about Trump, though, when you look at, you know, everything that Nixon did to get elected and stay in office. Yeah. You know, well, he took all this illicit money, help from organized crime. It's just astounding, but again, just tremendous parallels to Trump. Well, let's go down that road when we come back. We're talking with Lamar Waldron, his most recent book, Watergate, The Hidden History. Really worth checking out. Bloomberg reports there's an increasing number of people concerned about their wealth due to the fear we may be entering a larger economic crisis than 2008. If you've been paying attention, you know the Dow recently had its sixth largest point loss in history, and the stock market continues to show extreme volatility. Meanwhile, central bank gold purchases have risen to a six-decade high, sending gold prices higher. CNBC and the World Gold Council reports Russia and China are swapping out U.S. dollars from their own portfolios, investing in safer, more liquid assets like gold. And what makes things even more suspicious, the U.S. Federal Reserve reportedly holds the most gold of all central banks. What's everyone getting ready for? If you share the gut feeling that something is soon to go south with the global economy, call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Proper gold and silver strategy will help secure your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Gold. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Lamar, you were talking about how Nixon was taking bribes from the Shah of Iran. He was enriching himself from foreign uh, dictators. Um, you know, Trump is, uh, in my opinion, I, I, in fact, frankly, I think that the reason why Donald Trump said to Erdogan, uh, OK, fine, go ahead and slaughter the Kurds, was because Erdogan called him up and said, hey, you know, you've got 119 different business interests in Turkey, uh, not to mention Trump Tower. Uh, Erdogan threatened to take Trump's name off Trump Tower back uh, when Trump had put uh, Turkey on the list of Muslim states for his Muslim ban. And, and, and you know, Trump jumped real quickly on that one. Um, uh, I think this is all about the money. There, are, are there more parallels between Trump and Nixon in this regard, you know, being willing to be bought off by foreigners? It, it, it's, just, it's just horrendous. And I think it's especially appropriate now that Trump is, is in re-election mode to look at all the things that Nixon was trying to do to get re-elected which, of course, he was. We hope Trump isn't. But, of course, Nixon, even after widely, you know, wide reporting on the Watergate break-ins and that it, it pretty clearly involved the White House, Nixon was elected, re-elected overwhelmingly. So, so let's go look. So, so Nixon, since the start of his political career, was using literally lit, using organized crime, money, and connections to help him in his elections, first to Congress, then the Senate, then, you know, when he first tried to run for president against Jeff and then when he actually, uh, you know, finally won the presidency, and then when he was running again. And, of course, Trump has his organized crime ties going back to at least the 1980s, probably the 1970s. I mean, they both engage in massive money laundering. I mean, Richard Nixon at one time with his, his uh, money man, D.B. Rebozo, uh, actually bought a coin laundry to help launder their illicit money. But that was when they were doing things on a smaller scale, when he was vice president. You know, now, now Nixon, as president, was laundering his money in a much bigger way. But Trump, since the 1980s at least, has been laundering money. I've, I've read that there were only two developers in New York City in the 80s that would sell an expensive condominium uh, or co-op or building to a blind 
uh, you know, a, attorney, a blind trust, where you did not know who was actually buying it. Most developers wouldn't do that because they knew that was that was the mafia either laundering money or foreigners and just starting in the, in the late 1980s to be Russians laundering money. And so, you know, they have the money laundering in, in common. You know, Nixon got so many bribes and payoffs, again, not just from foreign dictators, but literally from the mafia. And so, uh, you know, I, I think as things unfold, we're going to find more and more. Of course, organized crime today, as, as Hillary Clinton once didn't say but agreed with, you know, Russia is basically a big organized crime state on a state level now at, at this point. That's what they are. And so when you look at it that way, yeah, Trump is just getting all this money. They both had tax scams. Nixon's famous I am not a crook statement was not about Watergate. It was about his taxes. Hmm. And, of course, what, once his tax scams were found out and he had to repay them with more illicit bribe money, uh, you know, that's, that's when the tradition came about that every president's taxes get audited, audited and everybody releases their taxes, which Trump won't do. I mean, there were... They're both such experts at manipulating the mainstream media. I mean, Nixon, like I say, five months after the Watergate break-ins were in every newspaper in the country, Nixon gets reelected by a landslide because right. he knows how to manipulate the mainstream press. Trump seems like he has lost that touch within the last week or two, but I'm not sure that he won't regain that. Oh, it'll, it'll come back. Uh, we have just a minute to the break. Uh, John Mitchell. Uh, well, that, Nixon's AG, Bill Barr, Trump's AG. Well, they were just so, uh, you know, John Mitchell was basically a consigliere for Nixon. In other words, his job wasn't being Attorney General of the United States. It was being Nixon's fixer, basically. And in fact, he left the Attorney General position to become campaign manager, but he kept pretty much doing the same thing. And that's where we, that's a huge similarity we see with, with Barr today. In other words, Barr is doing now for Trump exactly what he did for Bush Sr., where he's leading this re-election PR campaign in addition to doing all these political favors that in, in the case of Bush Sr. kept Bush Sr. from going to prison because Barr engineered those five pardons. And now it, it appears that Barr just has his fingers in every stinking pie that comes up in relation to all these impeachable offenses. Do you think he could go down like John Mitchell did? I, I certainly I, I certainly hope so, but there's some reasons that might not happen. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. So what's really going on with uh, Donald Trump? How does this whole thing work? How, how does a basically a mob boss put together being president? Nixon did it before. We're learning about this. Four Republican presidents now have betrayed the Kurds since Richard Nixon began this whole song and dance in every case in exchange for money or political favors. This is just absolutely mind-boggling. Lamar, I don't know if you wanted to get into Paul Manafort in Ukraine, but do you see parallels now between what Trump is doing or what's happening in the United States with regard to our elections here and what Paul Manafort was doing in 2010 in Ukraine? Oh, tremendous parallels there. But before I dive into those, I did want to point out stonewalling and obstruction by Nixon and by John Mitchell is what kept Nixon in office for more than two years after Watergate. The other thing that kept Nixon in office that I think bears repeating now is the way that Nixon and John, his Attorney General John Mitchell, and, and even after Mitchell was not Attorney General anymore, he was still Nixon's closest advisor, going after critics and whistleblowers and leakers. 
And under Nixon, that turned fatal at least twice. In other words, Nixon would try to unleash the IRS. He would have the FBI harass his critics. He would, you know, go after them in the press. But in the case of America's most famous journalist, Jack Anderson, who had a string of exposés against Richard Nixon, Nixon, according to Mark Feldstein, professor at the University of Maryland, a former journalist, a you know, very distinguished you know, professor there, he wrote a great book, and it's pretty well documented that Richard Nixon ordered the White House plumbers, the people who were supposed to stop leaks, to assassinate Jack Anderson. Wow. In other words, Nixon literally gave that order. Apparently, as much as anyone can tell, the only reason Nixon did not succeed in that was that one of the Watergate plumbers, a guy uh, whose real name was Frank Fiorini, but he had changed it from that Italian-sounding name, he was a mob associate, to Frank Sturgis. And Frank Sturgis was good friends with Jack Anderson from the days when Frank Sturgis was a soldier of fortune in the mountains of Cuba with Castro. So apparently that's the only reason that didn't happen. And then the other big leaker who started leaking after the White House plumbers were formed was Daniel Ellsberg. And again, just a month and a half before the final Watergate break-in, there were four, not just one, uh, Daniel Ellsberg was targeted to be, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, he uses a, a more exact term, basically permanently silenced in a big demonstration in Washington. And Ellsberg, you know, will always say that in any media appearance. I can always tell the journalists are skeptical that, 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 that Nixon had actually ordered that Ellsberg be killed. But what, what the mainstream media doesn't ever talk about either, and what Ellsberg doesn't even know, is that two of the Watergate plumbers, Frank Sturgis and Bernard Barker, uh, were actively working for one of America's most ruthless godfathers at the time, Santo Traficante, big supporter of Richard Nixon, gave Nixon lots of money, including two, uh, contributed to two million, two different million dollar bribes. And both Sturgis and Barker had successfully participated in assassinations in the past for the mafia and for the CIA. So uh, I, I take Ellsberg very seriously. So, so that makes me worry about the current, I think we're up to at least three whistleblowers right now, and look at all the critics of Trump. And, you know, do I think William Barr would ever order a whistleblower killed? No, I don't. Has Trump threatened to have people killed in the past? There's reporting that he has. So I really worry about the safety of these whistleblowers. And I'll just say this before we move on to Ukraine. I am totally and completely confident that Donald Trump has been told the name of that first main whistleblower. Yeah. I, I, based on everything I have read, everything I know. Oh, and he's, been whipping, he's been whipping up this. So I don't know who it is. We need to find out who it is exactly. as a way of, of telegraphing to his more violent followers. Find and nail this guy. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but, you know, find and nail him. I worry about all of that, which now brings us back to Ukraine. And the first time that Paul Manafort helped one of Putin's uh, allies get elected president. This is back in 2010. This is Yanukovych, it, it, right? 
Yanukovych, exactly. And, and, and it's real important because most of your listeners are like me 20 years ago. I knew nothing about Ukraine. But luckily, I had a friend who did a great series of graphic novels about a young woman fighting uh, in Ukraine for Ukraine in World War II. So he was going over to Ukraine, doing research, married a, a Ukrainian. So, so I was following Ukraine at a time, you know, 10 years ago when most people weren't, you know, because one of my best friends was over there all the time. And what's important to know, and what he always said, and the research bears it out, Ukraine, 60% of Ukraine, the middle and the western part of Ukraine, hate Russia. You know, they, and they hate Russia because going back to the 1930s, when Russia, based in, under Stalin, grabbed Ukraine, and then to put down their resistance, he basically instituted this nationwide famine that killed millions of people. So, you know, that has not been forgotten in Ukraine. Those people hate Russia, you know, for what, for what they did, you know, for years when they were a satellite state, a captive state, but especially going back to 33. So 60% of Ukraine hates Russia. Now, what, what Stalin and later Khrushchev did, though, they had a lot of Russians move to the eastern part of Ukraine. So today, about 60% of the Ukrainians hate Russia, and 40% of Ukrainians like Russia or actually, you know, are of Russian extraction. So well, also in so, Crimea, you, you know, Russia had that giant submarine base there, and, and that's where uh, so many of the Russian military went there, served there, and then retired there because it's just absolutely beautiful territory and beautiful climate. And that, I, I, that I would kind of repopulated the local area. And I would rather live in the Crimea a hundred times more than any place, you know, than Moscow, sure. St. Petersburg. So, you know, yes, that's, Especially so, in the winter. So, so, so the question is, how did Putin's ally get elected president of a country where 60 percent of the people hate anything to do with Russia? Well, the answer is Paul Manafort and some other political consultants who've done work for Trump. But Manafort was the main one because what Manafort did, and remember, Manafort was a big part of Republican politics and elections going back to the late 70s here in America. Right. I mean, he, you know, oh, he, he was, he he was, knows a, a, he was huge with elected. the Reagan campaign and the Bush campaign. Exactly. Uh, his, his partner Lee Atwater, his, his you know, I mean, his partner Roger Stone. <laughs> These are legendary names in Republican politics. And Roger Stone being the person that introduced Trump to Richard Nixon, and Nixon said when he met Trump, I'm paraphrasing, you know, you're going to be president someday. Yeah. So all these rats run together. So the way Manafort did that was apparently initially. Yanukovych was was too obviously pro-Russian, and he was kind of a rumpled uh, Boris Johnson kind of guy. Basically, Paul Manafort cleaned up his act, you know, in terms of you know the suits, in terms of the hair, very Trump-like, and and getting him to to not you know to to, to play down and even just ignore or deny any pro-Russian bias to talk about nationalism and and all these you know and mom and apple pie and. and so Yanukovych did not run as a as a pro-Putin or pro-Russian candidate. He ran as as a basically Ukraine first. And that is so important. He ran as Ukraine first. Trump ran, took the old pro-Nazi slogan of America first. And, and you're exactly right. So, so it was not obvious in the, even the, in the first year of Yanukovych. So what happened was, when, the, when the people figured out that Yanukovych was basically dancing to Putin's tune? 
Well, by the second year, it became totally obvious, and the people literally rose up. Yanukovych, on Putin's orders, you know, was having people shot. That brought more people into the streets, and basically, they ran him out of Ukraine. They overran his incredible mansion that was just full of all these Trumpian extravagant gold and crystal and and and, and thirty hundred thousand dollars chandeliers and all this. And 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 Yanukovych literally, literally had to flee to to Russia but but the interesting thing is you know if the if the democrats had not captured the house you could almost make a a case that 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 we are in in some ways we are today living like ukraine was in the first year or so under yanukovych in other words you know the Ukrainians had a president controlled by Moscow. They didn't really realize it. But he was you know, doing was, a lot of policies that favored Moscow. Right. Which well, Trump well, is doing well, right now. Well, at the same time, throwing red meat to his base and claiming Ukraine first and, you know, coming up with all these excuses until he could just no longer hide that. And, and, right. and in many ways, we're like that today. I mean, think about this. Everything Trump has done, from the Labor Department to the Defense Department to the Environmental Protection Agency, he's been doing exactly the opposite of what any even moderate Republican president would do. In other words, you know, if, if, if you have you know, somebody that had the Education Department is against public education. People that had the Environmental Protection Agency are against protecting the environment. People who run the uh, Department of Labor are against organized labor. In other words, it's almost, if, if you imagine it like, like an Avengers-style movie where some alien has infiltrated and is having people attack America from within, that's exactly what Trump totally appears to be doing. Yeah, he's put arsonists in charge of the fire department. Exactly. And he's doing that, I firmly believe the evidence shows, under, you know, under the influence of Putin that go back to Trump's ties well, to Russia. Well, according to Seth Abramson, it's not just Putin. I mean, you know, he, he wrote an entire book about how it's, it's also Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia, it's the United Arab Emirates, it's uh, some of the cronies of Netanyahu in Israel, that there was this conspiracy to put Trump in the White House in the first place, which is pretty mind-boggling. You know, I've been doing this show 16 years, and until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. My wife convinced me that there was one that was worth sharing, and a year later, I have to say she's right. The key to losing weight, of course, is getting your appetite and those pesky food cravings under control. Once you do that, the rest of it's easy. My producer, Sean, is now trying Riduzone, too. Who doesn't want to lose a few pounds before the holidays? Sean says Riduzone is making it easy for her to stick with her weight loss plan. Just one capsule with breakfast, that's it. Second one for dinner, uh, at dinner for days when you need a little extra help. Sean says when you don't feel hungry, it's a lot easier to make better choices. The only ingredient in Riduzone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant, and that'll really appeal to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Riduzone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to riduzone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. Riduzone.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. We're talking about the hidden history of the betrayal of the Kurds by four consecutive Republican presidents. It's mind-boggling. Well, I guess they weren't consecutive, Lamar. Uh, did George W. Bush betray well, the Kurds or just his daddy? As soon as, 
you said that, I was about to say, and I'll research this some more later, but largely I think the Kurds were relatively treated well under Bush Jr., but apparently they were promised at some point that they were essentially going to have a homeland you know, right. that would be independent in all but name only in northern Iraq. You know, we that, know Joe that, Biden was pushing for that early in the Obama administration, by the way. Well, and, and so, like I say, there are probably people in Kurdish Iraq that would say, yes, that Bush Jr. screwed them over as well. So, right. you know, it may actually be five consecutive Republican presidents that have screwed over those poor people. I guess to get back to Ukraine, sure. what do you think the odds are that, that Trump may literally wind up like Yanukovych? In other words, that once Trump's clear working for Putin, and I agree with you, a lot of people like, like MBS and others wanted Trump as president, but I, I think Putin was the primary one in that, I mean, there's literally a paper trail flipping 40,475 votes in the three states where we know that Manafort passed the internal polling data to Putin's ally. That's what won. In other words, 40,000 Hillary supporters stayed home. 40,000 Trump supporters were so angry and ginned up to come out and vote. That's what literally gave Trump the presidency. And so I think the more stuff that's going to come out about all these dictators, but especially about Putin, I do wonder, I don't rule out that Trump could eventually have to flee the country as people mass and overrun, you know, Mar-a-Lago or something. Even if people don't, I mean, if, if enough evidence of enough crimes comes out and they implicate not just Trump, but, you know, you've got Jared Kushner and the whole thing with MBS and Qatar, you know, and Kushner ending up with a billion dollars out of the, out of the Qatari uh, heavily invested fund. You've got Vanka Trump, who was nearly charged by the New York prosecutor, New York state prosecutor for real estate fraud and financial fraud. you got Don Jr and Eric involved in a number of these frauds. It wouldn't surprise me if the entire Trump crime family flees the country. I would say for me, and I'm curious to get your take, to me, I would say there's about a 5% chance of that happening. Yeah, I would love I'd, to I'd see put it in it. that neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it's I it's think, higher I mean, than zero. It's certainly higher right. than zero. I mean, it's going to depend on what comes out, and it's also going to depend to a certain amount on the elections. I think, you know, the elections are going to happen in the first week of November, of next year and then you know a month later the inauguration happens and if in that gap the democrats overwhelmingly take the white house the senate and the house then that would increase the probability that the trump crime family will flee the country because of their fear of retribution during the last break you asked me what i thought were the possibilities of trump pardoning himself and his associates the rest of the Trump crime family versus uh, cutting a deal like Nixon did uh, with Jerry Ford to, to have Pence pardon him. The Constitution says that during a period when, when the president is being impeached, which has formally happened, you know, it's, it started two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago, that when the president is being impeached, he loses his power of pardon. So, uh, you know, if he, if he were to win in the Senate, if he were to win a trial or if they couldn't get the impeachment resolution passed through the House, I suppose it's possible he would pardon himself and the rest of his family. I think it's more likely, though, if he leaves office, that it would be Pence. But those, that's just my thinking. What, what, what's yours? Well, let me ask you this. What do you think the odds are will actually officially impeach Trump? I, I put those odds at 90 to 95 percent that the House 
will impeach Trump. Where I, are you at on that? I, I would agree with those numbers. And, and the thing that makes me feel relatively emphatic about that is that Nancy Pelosi has been very, very, very careful, very methodical. She basically, she wasn't willing to go there until she had no choice. So, yeah, I think that's real high. The question is what's going to happen in the Senate. Well, but now let's go back to the House, because I'm saying 90-95% because, you know, a couple of different stories have been floated by, you know, Trump insiders, supposedly, that Trump is so paranoid about, you know, having you know, the impeachment on his record, because even Richard Nixon, you know, the, the, the Judiciary Committee had passed the articles. But in other words, you know, the whole the whole House had not. You know, right. He voted. was never officially impeached. Right. And, and that Trump is so loath to to have that on his record that 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 there is a chance. I think it's only a five to 10 percent chance that that if it looks like for sure that vote is going to happen. They'll pull a Nixon. Well, well, he'll either pull a Nixon or what I say, because he's 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 much I don't know, he's he's street smart, but he's not nearly the political you know, genius that, that, that Nixon was, is that I, I say I think he would fake a a you know, fake a heart attack, fake a medical reason to have to resign the presidency before that happens. Because my understanding is, and again you may know better is that if if he did in fact resign before the official vote was taken, even if he resigned, you know, hours before it was taken, then it becomes kind of a a moot point, so to speak. I think he's much less worried about history. He has said on two different occasions he doesn't care how he's thought of by history, he'll be dead. I think he's more afraid that the impeachment inquiry will reach the point where he can no longer hide his tax returns and we and the entire world will discover that he's been broke for at least 20 years and he's been living off money from, from basically foreign mobsters. And uh, that's what he's afraid is going to come out. And the whole co house of cards will collapse once everybody realizes that he's broke. But, well, but when, I, the, that, the thing that, that I really fear is that he will start World War III. That's that. That's on and my I put that at about twenty percent right now. Is that is that he will? So so you put war at twenty percent. I I would agree. I would agree. I, I I'd say maybe as high as thirty percent. Uh, but yeah, definitely in that range. Um, as part of that, I could see him hugely overreacting to some terrorist attack or attempted attack. Yep. And. And, and I don't rule out that he could actually win the next election, especially, you know, if, if the Senate votes not to impeach him. So he's off. He's going to oh, say. Yeah. I, and I'm, if he wins, he will be unstoppable. I mean, that'll be the end of democracy in the United States. Lamar, I'm sorry we got to wrap it up. But, uh, you know, uh, once again, Lamar's book, uh, Watergate, The Hidden History and The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination. Brilliant writing. Lamar Waldron, thanks so much for dropping by with us today, Lamar. Thank you so much, Tom. I enjoyed it. Me too. Bye. We'll be back. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.